Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. So um, this morning we are in a series called Survey Says. It is really built around kind of the topics that have come up over 2018, things that people want to know about, maybe some concentrated you know, uh, time in looking at what God's Word had to say about subjects like trials. We talked about uh, how to share Jesus the beginning in week one. We talked about trials week two. Last week we talked about learning how to turn the things that we care about, our cares, into prayers. Really just having this idea that to worry about nothing and pray about everything. And so if you were uh, missing last week, you can go check that out on our podcast. This morning we're talking about forgiveness. Really having this understanding uh, as a follower of Christ that we are to reject bitterness and animosity that would rise up when people wound us and sin against us, and we would choose to forgive. I I put out on my uh, Instagram feed this week that Jesus asks us to do hard things, right? As a follower of Christ, you're asked to really lay down your own life, right? Take up the cross and follow him. And, and, And part of that means that you do things like you serve others selflessly, uh, you know, when you yourself want to be served. I think this issue about forgiveness, it may be the, one of the most difficult things to do as a Christian because it's connected to pain that happens in our life, right? We think about forgiving others, you think about, well, man, it, it, it kind of depends on the, the, the level of wound that comes with whatever it is that we are being asked to forgive another. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, if, you're, if you want to make your way there with me. Ephesians chapter 4, it's on page 1,275. Oh, sorry, 76. Here's what Paul says. He says, let all bitterness, let me say that again, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, notice this, as God in Christ forgave you. He says, forgive one another. And we find this throughout scripture, that we are called to respond to wounds with forgiveness. We live in a world that has a philosophy that says, uh, don't get mad, what? Get even. Don't get mad, get even. Right? Sin happens. We wrong each other. In the church, believers, uh, they would sin against one another, and then they would sort of create factions, and then there would be this animosity and, and wrongs that are done. And, and when that happens to us, you and I have two choices. You know, when you become a Christian, you get a new nature. And Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5. He also refers to something like this in Ephesians 4, earlier in some earlier verses, that we're to put off the old man. Paul calls it the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. You can either respond in your old fleshly way, right, what becomes instinctive as a human being, that unregenerated part of us, or you respond in the new person of who you are in Christ, or respond in the Spirit. Paul talks about walking in the Spirit, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, peace, patience, and so on. But the works of the flesh, and really when you get wronged, and when someone offends you or someone sins against you, You can respond in the flesh, which is bitterness, wrath, malice, anger, slander. Or you can respond in the spirit, the the new person in Christ. That's who you are. That new nature, you respond in grace and love and kindness. By the way, 
The opposite, bitterness, wrath, malice, it leads you to bondage as a human being. But when you respond in grace, it actually leads to freedom. You yourself get freed up from that spirit of, of bitterness that has a way of actually like holding on and gripping our lives. It's impossible to forgive when the old man is in charge. That's why he mentions bitterness, rage. That's the old man's way. That's the old way you and I used to live. But the call is to forgive. And that's a radically different philosophy or response than this world has, and certainly our own instincts, right? We feel justified in holding on to a grudge, and even the world would encourage it. You would talk to somebody about being offended by, you know, another person. This is what they did to me. You'll find enough people around you to say, oh, man, you should get them back. Or, yeah, you're, you deserve to hold that grudge, right? Or you deserve to shun that person. Sorry, I'm going to need a little, a little water. This is what the church, this is what the staff got me. I'm like, hey, I might need some water up there today. They're like, listen, if you can't drink the whole ounce of water, just leave it for next week. I'm just kidding. I actually asked for a tiny water. <clears throat> you did me wrong. I'll get you back. Or I'll hold a grudge. Or I'll smile when I see you at church or the store or at a family gathering. Or perhaps I'll avoid you. But when you're not around, I'll speak ill of you. I'll think ill of you. And I'll hold on to animosity. That bitterness, that that. Response that's the flesh way, the old man's way. The problem with it is, is it begins to fester like an infection. And if you don't get a hold of it, it will spread throughout your entire body and you'll be living a toxic life for the rest of your life. If you don't actually take God at his word, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's the right response. It's what God calls you and I to do. I know people, maybe you do too, who've been wronged and they've held on to that bitterness for decades. And then that person's name comes up and it's like all of a sudden they change, right? Do you guys remember that Chris Farley skit where he was drinking coffee and they went up to him and said, sir, you're, you're not drinking coffee. You know, we have hidden cameras. We switched it. Remember that old Senka commercial? Like they go to the places and... Chris Farley responds the way he should have responded when they put Sanka in his cup. He said, you did what? He said, you're drinking decaffeinated coffee. And he said, you did what? And he just starts throwing tables everywhere. Does anybody remember that? Or is that just like playing over and over and over in my head? That's what happens. Like, oh, man, everything was fine until I brought up, what's his name? And then venom just spews out. And you see the toxic soul that that person is living with. Anger isn't sinful. Let's get that straight, right? The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. To, to try to pretend that you're not angry when someone wrongs you is to not be human. Jesus was angry. The difference is, is what do you do when you are angered, hurt, or wounded? He says, in your anger, do not sin. You have to feel pain, by the way, to ultimately forgive. It's something that I, I kind of experienced growing up. Uh, my parents got divorced. Basically, when I was born, my dad dipped, left my mom with four boys. Thank God the last one was an angel. 
right? And she'll probably tell you the same. Um, which, if you hadn't guessed, I was the last one born. <laughs> and, uh, and you're like, man, your mom must have had it bad if you were the angel. She did. And, uh, you know, kind of grew up, I just sort of knew, like, my family was a little different. My mom never remarried. Or at least she didn't until I was 32 years old. And, uh, and you know, kind of growing up, you know, people got dads, you know. The dads were coaching soccer and all that kind of stuff. It wasn't, you know, and I always, and then I became a Christian at 18 years old, and, and I actually communicated to my dad, like, hey, I forgive you for, you know, abandoning your family. And, and this wasn't like divorce, this was like legit abandonment. I didn't meet him until I was 18 years old. So it wasn't like, you know, we just hit, you know, week, every other weekend and two weeks in the summer. This was like no relationship at all. But it wasn't until Tammy and I found out that we were pregnant with our firstborn that the, the beach ball, if you would, that you're holding underwater, finally popped up. And then I was just like, like, seriously, what in the Gehenna is going on? That's a Greek word for hell, in case you're wondering. I'm like, like how could, you know, could, let, we just be real here. How can you, like all the emotions that I was feeling, all the excitement about being a dad, like I, I, I just began to start to feel the pain of like, wow, this is what I was missing out on. You know what I mean? Because growing up, I didn't see the divorce. It was just gone before I could even remember anything. But it was that moment that all of a sudden the pain, right, you know, sort of the rip the bandage off. When that started to emerge, now I can actually understand like, oh, this is why forgiving another person is hard. You've got to feel the pain. This is why maybe you grow up and then as you get older, you realize like, oh, wow, that was jacked up. Wow, I'm starting to feel the wound of that pain. And then that's when you make that step of faith and you say, but I'm going to choose to forgive. Here's another way of saying, uh, it's an amplified version, it's kind of an expanded version of the text, verse 31. Here's what Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, it expands it, perpetual animosity, resentment, strife, fault finding, and slander be put away from you along with every kind of malice, all spitefulness and verbal abuse. Think about this definition of bitterness. It refers to a settled hostility that poisons the whole inner life of a person. Somebody does something we don't like, so we harbor ill will against them. By the way, you cannot grow in your Christian walk. You will never become a spiritually mature person holding on to animosity. You cannot become a, a fully mature follower of Christ having bitterness in your heart. It's impossible. We studied 1 John a couple months back, and John calls us out and says, if a person says, I love God, and he says, but, it, but they hate their brother, they're a liar, and the truth is not in them. Because you cannot love God who you cannot see, and have hate and animosity and bitterness against a brother in, or a sister in Christ. Somebody said, like, uh, holding a grudge or having bitterness in your heart towards somebody else, it's like drinking poison and hoping or waiting for the other person to die. God calls us to a different life. One that will require the power of God's spirit to equip you and I to do things that are supernatural, like forgiving others who wrong us. 
it's easier to write said and taught than actually done. You can write a book about raising kids and care less what your book says, right? Like, show me the action. Show me the proof. That one guy that wrote a book, he hadn't had kids yet. Like, five distinctive things, you know, to raising kids. Then he had his first kid. He changed it. Five ways to raise your kids. And then he had two more kids. He changed the title of his book to, Dear God, Help Me, I'm Dying. The difficulty is in the degree of the hurt that is caused against us. Some of us have had to and must forgive from deep pain and wounds. Some of us have been wronged and unfairly treated. Some of you have been lied to and lied about. Some of you have been betrayed. Adultery, what a painful, miserable experience. Some of you have been abandoned by a parent or a spouse or friends. Some of you have experienced abuse. Some of you have been in spiritually abusive situations too. Churches can be, um, like churches can be jacked up if we're dishonest, right? Can we just, I mean, I don't want to say amen about that, but I know you might be thinking it. I've seen and been around some very spiritually abusive environments where the pride of a leader, the success of a leader, will allow them to sort of, with the magic wand of it's all for God, it's all for the gospel, and you're just like going, man, you keep saying that, but it doesn't feel like that. And you look and you go, outside of having correct doctrine, you're really just a cult leader. So churches can be abusive. If we're honest, there's a lot of people that you and I know and care about and love, and they believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He's the creator of this universe and that heaven awaits those who follow him. But they don't want to step foot in church because it's been an abusive environment. Listen, God calls you and I to forgive. In community, we will fail each other, but the atmosphere that's supposed to permeate the church is love. And that love shows up when we forgive, right? Everyone who wrongs us, everyone who sins against us. Reconciliation is a different matter. It's connected to forgiveness. It's not guaranteed in forgiveness. It means both parties have to come to terms and, and desire reconciliation and relationship, right, and fellowship to be restored. That's something that needs to be worked on, but it begins with forgiveness. Don't allow your heart to grow hard when people sin against you. It's easy to get hard-hearted when we're wronged or taken advantage of, right? We've got to consistently guard our hearts and don't let that happen. People harden up they say, oh, I'm not going to let that ever happen to me again. The problem with that is, is that you get bitter, and then you can't feel anything in life. You can't actually experience relationship. That bitterness is like mortar that eventually hardens the heart. We want to have uh, the ability to feel and experience life with other people. And in order to do that, you've got to have a heart that forgives others, right? Paul said, be kind and tenderhearted. And forgive. If you're, if you're jotting some notes down today... There's really three reasons why we forgive. Two are right here in our text. Number one, we forgive because God commands it. If there's ever a reason to do anything in life, right, why are you doing that? Because the creator of the universe, my Savior, commands it. I know it's hard, but forgiveness is a command. We find it right here in Ephesians. We also find it in other places in Scripture. We find it in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus said, in Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father 
will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Forgiveness, it's not an option for a believer. Well, you don't know what they did. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you're not going to need the power of God's spirit to supernaturally give you that ability to take that step of faith. I'm just saying that that's exactly what God commands you and I to do, and there's good reasons for it, this one being that God commands it. Warren Wiersbe is a, a commentary writer, pastor. He said this about, uh, about forget, uh, unforgiveness. He says, an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. Think about that. Bitterness, anger, I mean, these are all things connected to our old life. These are things connected to this world. And these are things that are connected to Satan himself, who, whose, whose goal is the destruction of human beings' lives. To steal, kill, and destroy. And that's exactly what a bitter spirit does. Paul writes in Colossians 3, he says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. It grieves God's spirit. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed. It grieves God's spirit who dwells within us when we allow bitterness to settle in. To grieve God's spirit does not mean that you lose your salvation. It's impossible. But you do lose the joy of your salvation. You do lose that fullness of the spirit in your life when we sin with a wrong response to others who sin against us. God will ask you to do hard things, right? To forgive because he asks you to do it. You're not alone. His spirit is within you. You surrender to him. You say, God, I need you to help me to do this. You surrender, if you would, to God's spirit, your right to get even with them. So one reason why we're called, we forgive is because God commands it. Here's a second reason. Paul says we forgive because we've been forgiven. God has forgiven a tremendous debt of ours, your sin against him, my sin against him. We remember our own forgiveness that we have received, right? Matthew at 18, uh, Peter uh, went to Jesus and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And the disciples like going, dude, that's a, I mean, you're like all in. Chips are all in. Seven times? And Jesus said, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, Peter didn't pay attention to math, but he figured that was a lot, right? The point wasn't to get to 490 you didn't think I knew that, did you? <laughs> the point is, is that grace is something that continues to come out of your life because that's exactly what came out of God for you and I. Wow, Peter, what a godly man. What a man of faith. Then Jesus told a parable about an unforgiving servant. This man was forgiven an unpayable debt. He found a servant, of, a fellow servant of his that owed him, get this, one six hundred thousandth percent of what this man was forgiven. 
Now, I don't know the number on that. I'm just saying it's probably a lot. This dude owed him five bucks, and he was just forgiven five million. He found the guy and said, hey, man, you owe me five bucks. He's like, listen, can you go easy? I'm, I'm working hard. I'll get the money. I got the money for you, right? I just got to get it in liquid form. I'm going to get it for you. And he put him in jail until he could pay that last penny. Other servants were like, that's super jacked up, man. We know what you were forgiven. And, and, and it, it, the, the king found out, said, man, I forgave you a lot of money, and you couldn't forgive this other person who owed you a small fraction of it. It angered the king. See, God has forgiven my massive debt of sin. I cannot hold on to bitterness. This is why Paul said that God has forgiven you in Christ, right? Because of his death on the cross. When Christ hung and bled on the cross, he was paying personally for your sins. The sins you've committed, the sins that I've committed, the sins this whole world has committed. God is kind, God is compassionate, God is full of mercy, and you and I should forgive because God has given us all of those gifts and given us, including the gift of forgiveness. It was C.S. Lewis who said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Think right now. Have you ever held a grudge against somebody because they've wronged you and you yourself are guilty of the same thing? Just a show of hands. Who goes to a hypocrite community church? Thank you. Our next service starts in 10 minutes for all the hypocrites. We've all sinned. We all want mercy. We forgive because we've already received it from God. It flows from remembering how God has forgiven us. Jesus said that when we pray, we pray things like, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Perhaps you are never more like Jesus than when you choose to forgive another person. Think about that. When you selflessly say, God, even though I could hold this against them, I'm choosing to release them and forgive them. The measure or the extent that we forgive, according to Paul, is as God has forgiven me. Right? Psalm 103 verse 12 says, He has removed our sins as far from us as from the east is from the west. God has forgiven you completely. You forgive others completely. God will never bring it up again. That means that you and I should never bring it up again. We forgive because God commands it. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Here's a third one. We forgive because it frees us from the bondage of hate and bitterness. There's nothing like carrying that burden around. That unforgiveness, that bitterness, that just, well, it just doesn't make your life better. You don't become a better version of a human being by being bitter. We've watched people grow into their old age and just hold on to bitterness. And they don't become more lovable. You know what I mean? They don't become like, oh, that's the neighbor that's, that's like, that's the neighbor you avoid. Because they're just, bam, snap, 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 snap. Man, it just poisons your own life. It's been said, to forgive is like setting a prisoner free and then discovering that that prisoner was you. Who suffers more? 
The one who doesn't forgive or the one who isn't forgiven? You ever think about that? The answer is both. Both of them suffer. You suffer, and the person that you won't forgive suffers. One reason to forgive is because you're the one who gets free from that bondage of hate and bitterness. You find peace in your life when you choose to let go and forgive. A couple weeks back, I, I quoted uh, Cory Ten Boom. She and her family were Dutch watchmakers during you know, the uh, 1930s, 40s, and she and her sister were actually scooped up and put into a concentration camp because she uh, was hiding Jews from the Nazis, as well as they were taking in those who were mentally you know, challenged, that, that, that um, you know, the Nazis just saw we need to get rid of everyone who's not a perfect human in their eyes. And so they were arrested. Her sister got really sick and ill and actually died in the concentration camp. Corrie Tim Boom was one of girls that for some, um, maybe it was a legal issue, she actually got released. The group of girls she was with went to the gas chambers. You would think that there's a lot of reason to have some animosity, right, bitterness in your heart. I mean, think about that in your own life. Think about the things that you've gone through, those deep things. After the war was over, she was speaking, I believe, in Germany. And she was talking about God's forgiveness. And she said, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Another passage she quoted said, and God takes our sins and casts it into the deepest sea. And she describes how she was at this meeting and in, in that kind of uh, culture, they didn't really respond. They just stood up and they all walked out silently. And that's when she noticed a man. She noticed the way he looked. She noticed his outfit. And he came up to her and he said, it's good to know that our sins have been cast into the deepest sea. And she recognized him as the man who was one of the guards that had treated her, her sister, others harshly. And he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook. He said, I was a guard there. And he said, when I, uh, after the war, I've become a Christian. And I know that my sins are forgiven. I know that God has forgiven my sins. But he said, I want to hear it from your lips. Will you forgive me? And here's her description of what happened in this moment. As she thought about her sister who died, she thought about the others that had been, you know, so wounded, and she thought about the destruction of, of uh, Nazi Germany and in her community and all the, you know, the death that happened. And she thought to herself, God, this is going to be the most difficult thing in my life to do. Here's her words. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling." And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my joined hands, our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And she said, I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. She said from that moment that she had never felt 
and experience the love of God more than in that moment. She also said that you would think that because I've forgiven such a great sin against me and my people, that now it would just become like she's a varsity forgiver. It's not the case. She described like when her friends would do things that would, you know, wound her or whatever, that it's still a difficult experience to do, to forgive. Only God can forget. You know, they, we have this saying, like, you know, forgive and forget. Like, dude, you have to whack me with a baseball bat to forget some things. You know what I mean? Or I just need to get another year older. Slowly, I'll forget all of you. <laughs> is anybody else experiencing that, or is that just me? You're like, ah, I was thinking about something, but you ever go to the store and you realize, like, I have no idea why I'm here. I'm just going to say hi to people. How are you? Just turn me around and say, Gordon, just go back home. <laughs> go get the list. See, for, forgetting is a divine attribute of God, right? He can forgive our sins as far as the east is from the west. He can take our sin, cast it into the deepest sea someone's added, and he put a sign out front that said, no fishing. You can't forget. You'll have moments, you know what I mean, where you're going to go, I can allow that old man to rise up and to get angry about that and bitter about that all over again. And again, you take a step of faith. You say, but I'm going to forgive. I'm going to move past. We can let it go. No longer using it as our trump card. We don't get to do that. I don't get to be like a mean boss and then say, hey, Gordon, you're being a jack wagon. What's going on? Well, my dad left me when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be great? You just always bring that trump card out. Well, this happened to me, and that's why I'm such a horrible human being. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, that's why you got that trump card. There we go. When I say trump, I'm not talking about the president, too, so don't write me stuff. When you get angry, Jesus said, forgive seven times 70. Might be the same issue. Said, I really wish you'd get better at this, but I'm going to choose to forgive you right now. Joseph was a man, we mentioned him in trials. Joseph was a man in the book of Genesis. He had so much promise. God had given him this miraculous dreams, and God used him in amazing ways. Really, Joseph's um, life was the, the one move that God made in the end of Genesis that actually saved the nation of Israel, which eventually would bring the Messiah, Jesus, into the world. So Joseph went through a lot of things to do something really radical generations down the road that he had no knowledge of. But his brothers were jealous of him. So they sold him as a slave, which God allowed to happen. He, um, he was uh, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to, you know, take advantage of her. And then he was forgotten in prison. For years he was there in prison. And then one of the guys like, oh my gosh, I remember this guy because Pharaoh had this dream, right? Joseph gets out of prison, gets all cleaned up, tells Pharaoh the, the interpretation of the dream. And now Joseph becomes second in command in the world power of the day, Egypt was. His brothers find their way, you know, God's providence, you know, brings the, his brothers to, uh, to Egypt. And there's this moment of, of kind of reconciliation. They move dad back to Egypt. And Joseph's there as second in command. Dad dies, and his brothers are like, dude, now Joseph's going to let us have it. And Joseph, uh, they went to Joseph, hey, before our father died, he wanted you to, to hear, have a message that says, listen, please forgive the sins of your brothers. 
And Joseph just wept because he had already done the hard work, the heavy lifting of forgiving and releasing. He says, guys, what you meant for evil, he didn't, he didn't wash over what you did. No, no, don't worry about it. Don't, don't worry about selling me in, as a slave. He, he called it what it was. What you meant for evil, God has meant for good. We're good. You don't need to worry about me coming and taking your stuff or having you put in prison or having you killed for what you've done. I've released it. You know the crazy thing is, is that before he publicly confronted or publicly forgave, he'd already done that work in his heart. His own children's names that were born in Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim. It says, Joseph named uh, Manasseh, he said, for God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my family, father's family. His second son, Ephraim, it means God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. I love that. When you don't let bitterness reside in your heart, you let it go, now your hand is open to receiving God's blessing. You ever have a kid, like, drop a sucker, and they just fall apart? You're like, you know, there's like a five million of them back inside that little store. And if not in this store, the next one. You go to Disneyland. Like, yeah, everyone have suckers. Don't brush your teeth, kids. Kid drops it. Oh, it's broken. Oh, Mickey's ears off. You know, all the things that, you know, we parents have to wrestle with. They didn't write that in the book, by the way. How do you deal with that? You're like, dude, I, I got another one, man. I just went and got one for $19.99, okay? I'm going to exchange it. But you got you to gotta trust me. You got to let this go. I wonder right now, just in this room, if there's that moment where you're holding on to that dirty sucker that is just a mess and broken and destroyed, and you go, God, I can't let this go. And the Lord's like, man, I want to bless you with a Manasseh, with an Ephraim, I want you to experience my full blessing in your life, but you can't experience it when your hands are holding on. You've got to let go. Joseph had to reject bitterness and choose to forgive, and I imagine he had to do that repeatedly on his journey to be second in command. Recognizing that even in the wrongs God was going to use and he allows in this fallen world, Remember that God is ultimately your judge and your vindicator, but God calls you and I to forgive. And guess what? He rewards obedience. We forgive because he commands it. We forgive because we've been forgiven. And we forgive because God desires that you and I would live a life free of hate and bitterness. You know, this morning as we worship Jesus may call you like a man that was in a synagogue with a withered arm. And Jesus teaching, he looks at the man and says, stand up. man stands up. He says, stretch out your arm. Like, that's one of those things you're like, man, that's not cool, Jesus. Guy's got a bum arm. You can't stretch it out. You might feel like that right now. Got no emotion. By the way, you don't have to feel warm fuzzies. But forgive those that wronged you. I would imagine that would actually be uh, like something that's impossible. But you know what you do? God, you're calling me to do something supernatural. I'm going to stretch out my arm. And when he did that, all the muscles, all the tendons, all the strength was there. 
Because he just took a step of faith. Could have sat back down. You could sit back down, walk out of here, spend another decade with bitterness and anger and wrath, malice, and have a toxic soul that spills out on everybody that cares and loves you. Or you can say, God, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to stretch out an arm that doesn't work right now because that's what you're asking me to do. David said, search my heart, O God, and know my ways, right? See if there's any grievous way in me, is what he prays to God. Is there something in me that's grieving you right now, Lord? Can I just, we just deal with this issue? If you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody else, that is an area that you're grieving your relationship with God. He says, and lead me in the way of everlasting. You stretch out that arm. I can't do that. I don't have movement. I don't, it doesn't feel natural. I don't have any feeling. You can through the power of God's spirit. I would encourage you to get free today. And then I would encourage you to practice that freedom when the, the little things, you look on Instagram, everybody's at a movie. Oh, it's funny, the phones must all be broken. And the big stuff, oh wow, I look back, that was abandonment. That was abuse. That was wrong. And you say, God, I'm going to release it. I'm going to be a person who practices forgiveness. By faith, through the cross, Jesus makes healing available for the wounded and gives them power to forgive. He also brings forgiveness to those who offend. We're going to pray for you today. Every Sunday, we've got my friends on the side of the room at these two tables in the back. Maybe, you're, maybe it's a rough moment for you. Like, man, I've really got to get past this and I need someone to pray with me. You know, they don't even know the issues. They don't even know what's going on. But you can go and receive prayer. To me, one of the saddest moments on a Sunday morning is when someone walks that, like, three-mile walk with a heavy load, a heavy burden, and then they leave with the same stinking burden when you don't have to. The people here, man, that love you, care for you, don't even know you yet. Would love to pray with and for you. Maybe as we worship, you could just take a step of faith and say, God, I'm going to choose to release and forgive that person. They might not even be around on earth anymore, but you can choose to say, God, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to release them. I want to be the prisoner that's set free today. What love God has for us that we would be called the sons and daughters of God, that he would forgive rebels like us, that our sins are gone or cast into the deepest sea, what a joy to be made right with him. And then to extend that mercy and that gift of forgiveness to other people. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never committed your life to Jesus. Maybe this burden that you're carrying around or bitterness is something that's kind of holding you back. You say, how could God, you know what I mean? How could God allow this to happen? I, I don't have the answers for you today. And nobody does. You may never get them this side of heaven or the other side of heaven either, by the way. But I do know this, that God loves you, and I do know that God has secured your eternal destiny when he went to the cross for your sins and my sins. And I'm going to tell you, the best way to live life is a life of freedom, to have forgiveness, to have a relationship with God. And that's how you have power, by the way, to do these things that are hard that Jesus asks us to do, like forgive. So maybe you're here this morning, and you've never committed your life to Christ. You don't know him today. You're not certain if you were to die today that you're going to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. Well, what do I need to do? 
Well, number one, you need to admit to God that you're a sinner. You need to recognize that you have broken God's commands like all of us have. You need to ask forgiveness and be willing to turn away from your sins. We call that repentance. You're doing your life this way. You make a 180. You go now towards God. You say, God, I'm going to leave that old life. You believe that Christ died for your sins on the cross. And last, you decide to receive Christ into your heart and into your life. Becoming a Christian is not believing a set of right teachings and doctrines, although it includes that. Becoming a Christian is having Christ himself come up and come into your life and take up residence. He says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he said, I will come in and I will eat with them and they with me. And he spoke of this relationship, this fellowship that will take place. But you've got to open that door. You've got to be willing to say, God, I want you to come into my life. And so we're going to close in this moment. We're going to worship God. I'm going to give you an opportunity to go receive prayer, but I also want to give you, maybe there's one, maybe there's more in here this morning that you're ready to surrender your heart to Christ. Man, we'd love to give a chance to tell God what you want him to do right where you're sitting this morning. Would you pray with me now? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love.